Hey everyone, and welcome to Season 6 of the Millennial Pastor Podcast. My name is Hunter Thrasher, and I'm going to be your guest host for this season while we chat with millennial pastors within the Church of the Nazarene who are on a mission to change the way the church interacts with the community that they are a part of. We're going to listen to their stories, how they've grown in their ministry throughout the years, what is exciting them, um, what are some of the unique joys and challenges that they are experiencing in their ministry today, and how they're reshaping the way that they were taught to pastor to fit the new age that we find ourselves in in America today. For episode two of season six of the Millennial Pastor Podcast, I sat down with Pastor Nicole Cotton. Nicole is the senior pastor at Belleville First Church of the Nazarene in Belleville, Illinois. She is an inspiring pastor. She loves well, she has a heart for her congregation and the Belleville community, and she is an excellent pastor and preacher. Pastor Nicole is is a good friend of mine from the North Arkansas District, and honestly, she was the very first person that I thought of when I was planning my interviews for my guest hosting of Season 6. She's a pastor that I look up to. And I took so much away from her story and from her passion that the passion that she has for local ministry. I think you're going to take a lot of, away from this too, and I hope you enjoy our conversation together. Well, I am here today with Pastor Nicole Cotton from Belleville First Church in Illinois. And I'm excited. We, we've been able to serve in ministry together in the North Arkansas District. She is a great pastor and doing great things in Belleville. Um, Nicole, I'm, I'm so thankful that you're able to come on the podcast, on, on the Millennial Pastor podcast today. But I, I just want to jump right in. Uh, tell us a little bit about yourself and a little bit about how you started in ministry. All right. So, um, yeah, my name is Nicole, and I've been in ministry for probably unofficially for like 12 years now ish, but, uh, more in an official capacity for like eight to 10 years, uh, somewhere around there. And, um, I strongly feel, uh, and I'm reminded of this often by my family that I was called into ministry, uh, of some kind when I was about five, because, uh, they love to talk about how I don't, I don't have a clear memory of this, uh, just to be honest, but yeah. uh, my family has always talked about this, that when I was five, uh, that's kind of when we first started going to church as a family. My family hadn't uh, been in church prior to that. And so, um, we would go to church and I would come home after church and go right to my room and like line up my stuffed animals and start preaching to them from a Bible. <laughs> and like my family specifically tells me like that I would point to the map on the back of the Bible and say like, this is a map and this is how you know where you need to go. And then I would open up to the Bible part, the words, and I would say, this is also a map. And I was, you know, preaching about how that's how you, you follow this to know where to go. And, and I think about that. I'm like, that's pretty good theology for a five-year-old. Yes, and that's good. Anything. That's good sermon writing. Like that's good. Here's, you know, drawing these connections for a five. Yeah. I, hey, I know, I know some pastors that can't preach that well. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, they were always a captive audience. So it was apparently a great match, but anyway, so they just love to talk about that. They, you know, once I kind of started taking steps, 
into, you know, just kind of exploring the call into ministry. Um, they just would constantly remind me of that. Like this Mm. is, we see that God has been doing this for a long, long time. Um, so I, I'll just kind of say, like, as I was processing through that, um, as like, I don't know, probably 14 or 15, I would think about that and how like, Mm. yeah, I do kind of feel called to be, you know, in, in the work of the church in some way, but I honestly have no clue what that means. Um, Mm. and then I think for a period of time, because I just didn't really have an imagination for what that meant or what it would look like, I, you know, thought, well, maybe, maybe I'll just like serve in the church and volunteer in the church. Like people do that all the time. And so then I started thinking about pursuing like journalism was kind of my passion at the time. Um, and so, yeah, but then when I, you know, got a little older, closer to 17 or 18, I, I mean, by the time I was 18, I pretty much decided like, no, I feel like if I don't pursue this and I'm not doing what I feel called to do. And Mm -hmm. so thankfully at that point I had been in a Nazarene church for a few years And so I had people like immediately who started uh, supporting me and encouraging me. Um, And so it didn't take long until I realized like, okay, yeah, this is where I'm, I'm supposed to be. Hmm. Um, At the time it felt like youth ministry, because that's how a lot of pastors start out because that's just what you feel like you're capable of doing in some way. Uh, And so I just started by volunteering in the youth group. uh, And then a couple of years after that, probably when I was about 20, I was able to step into just that youth leader role. Um, You did youth ministry for a long time, um, like eight or nine years. Mm. And so now, yeah, moved into um, senior pastor role recently in the past four ish years. So, um, and it's so interesting. I'll just end with this, that, you know, thinking back to like the days of me preaching to stuffed animals, like, even though as youth pastors, like I did consider what I did, um, on Wednesday nights preaching, but it didn't feel very preachy. You know, it was more Mm -hmm. like a casual theological conversation with teenagers and just helping them to understand how loved they are and more of a discipleship type thing is what that felt like. But like when I stepped into the pulpit full time and started preaching every week, it's just like, I don't know. It was just such an affirmation, like, okay, Mm. this is really what I was supposed to be doing. Like this, I've never felt more in my space than when I'm literally preaching. And so it's been really cool to see all that come together. So, so that's, that's great. Uh, so tell me a little bit about, um, the role of the church of the Nazarene. Cause I think you've been a part of the church of the Nazarene your, your whole life. Um, mm-hmm. and also I, I, I just know a little bit of your history just because we we've known each other for a while, but yeah. there were like five people in your church, your age that were all called to ministry around the same time and are still yeah. doing it. Um, yeah. and still, still in ministry. Uh, yeah. So tell me a little bit about the the church's role, a little bit about the, and then you can go into the ordination process. Just, you, you just go. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So um, I feel like I've been in the church in Nazareth my whole life, but it was probably, um, I think I was about 14 or 15 uh, before I you know, found my way to, into the church of Nazarene. So my, um, aunt at the time, um, she started attending the BB first church of the Nazarene or wait, she started out, there was a Nazarene church in Cabot. It was a church plant. Um, it's no longer there, but it was a church plant. And my family started, 
um, attending there. That was the first like Nazarene church, even though we didn't even know at the time what that was, or (laughs) it was a church of the Nazarene. Um, but then she, she was kind of looking at maybe, you know, filling in for like youth group and stuff like that. And so I think a a position or an opportunity opened up at BB where she was able to go and like fill in as a youth leader. Um, and so, so she started doing that. And then my family's always kind of had this trend where we follow each other from place to place. And so, um, so shortly after my aunt and her family started attending BB, we kind of made our way over there too, because she just had such good things to say about it. That, and that may be an Arkansas thing. That may be. <laughs> That's probably right. Yeah. Because uh, I've learned once you leave, they they aren't very happy about it. They're like, no, no, you don't understand. We're supposed to follow each other. That's right. Yeah. We're not following you to Illinois. So you kind of messed up the, the thing here. <laughs> but yeah. So um. So yeah, she, so we started going, what was really great about it is that they had a fantastic group of, of teens, um, while I was in that phase of life. And like, Mm. that was a godsend for me because I just kind of was going through a season where I just felt alone, you know, like I don't have friends that love the Lord, like I do and that take it seriously. And, um, like that's just really lonely. And so, um, it was just so amazing to meet all these other teenagers, my age who loved the Lord, but like had a, a, a blast every day of their life. Like they were just yeah. a fun, good group of, of teenagers. And That's so, cool. um, so I just loved it. I loved it. So we started going every week. Um, my family eventually left that particular church, but I stayed. And so like, I'm a teenager and I'm like driving from Cabot to BB every week, uh, twice a week, because this was my, this was my home. These were my people now and they weren't going to get rid of me. So, um, um, that's where I met my amazing husband, as you know. And so that was, you know, just, um, such an amazing blessing to, to meet him there even though he wasn't like officially going there at the time, he was just kind of hanging out with his friends, uh, but his family was attending another church. And so it was just really interesting how our paths crossed there. Um, but yeah, mm-hmm. so pastor Steve Hall, who is still there. Um, once I shared just kind of this crazy thought that, Hey, maybe I'm called to ministry. Um, how crazy is that? And he just really helped me to, you know, understand like that's absolutely legitimate and we support mm. that. And, and, you know, like, when do you want to preach basically? <laughs> so. <laughs> Man, that is so, that is so refreshing to hear because oh um, that is not the same story that everybody has no. that, Hey, when, when do you want to preach? Uh, let's, let's go. Uh, you know, I'd had however old, let, let's go, let's throw you up there in the pulpit. Yep. And, um, and start training and, and discipling. That's, that's cool. So when did you begin the, like the ordination process? So, um, this was, I mean, Bo and I got married in June of 2007 and I feel like maybe right before that is when I got my first local license or maybe right after that, but it was somewhere hmm. in that, that time frame. Um, and then, so, you know, yeah, we led that youth, we led the youth group there for a few years. Um, then I, you know, as I'm taking classes kind of here and there, just to figure out like, am I really, you know, you're still like waiting for right. the realization like, oh, wait, maybe I'm not actually supposed to do this. So I was treading very lightly, uh, but taking classes at the district office. Um, and that's where I met Kevin Rector and, um, 
I was taking a class with him and right around that time I got my district license. This was 2012. Um, yeah, somewhere around 2012. And like, right after I got my district license, Kevin rector called me and was like, Hey, do you want to come here to Bologna and be um, my youth pastor? I'm looking for a part-time paid youth pastor. Um, and at that point I really was, you know, trying to figure out like, um, I was, we had a Nora at that point. So we had a one-year-old and I was working part-time in a job that I, you know, didn't love, but I was just doing it because yeah. I wanted to contribute. And so, and then trying to do ministry. And of course my dream was like, I'd love to do ministry full-time. Like that's mm. all I want to do. Yeah. Uh, but this worked out so well because he was looking for part-time. So I was able to go there and do ministry part-time, <laughs> but yeah. also yeah, right. like, stay home with, with Nora, which was also something I had always wanted to do was just be cool. with my kids. Um, and so that was a, just a, a hard decision because I mean, like Bo and I ugly cried, like you've never cried before leaving a church like that, that just was like lovingly supporting you through this, like showing up for you, let you preach in their pulpit, just champion you on. But then they always did that knowing we're going to send you like, hmm. and so they, you know, and you know, this, they send so many people out yes. and that's just what they were known for. Like BB raises them up and sends them out yep. and like they lose yep. everybody, but, <laughs> but it's just incredible. And so leaving yeah. was so hard, but it felt like the right next step to kind of start branching out on our own. Yeah. Um, anyway, so, but then, um, I was at Liberty for seven years. I uh, got, or I was ordained in 2018 Okay. All right. Um, Hang on. I'm going to stop yeah. you there because mm -hmm. I will never forget your ordination, um, in my entire life. And I, oh, I don't think you. anybody that was there will. Um, so tell me a little bit about why that was so special. I, I won't ruin the surprise. I'll let you. Yeah, <laughs> That was so special. And I'm not even sure like when that really dawned on all of us, like, yeah. Oh wait, like this is a big deal. <laughs> um, but somewhere, you know, within that few months between, in final interview and assembly, we discovered that that year, the class of ordinance consisted of three amazing women. Mm -hmm. um, no men that year, just because that's just how it worked out. There were no men up for ordination that year. Yep. Um, and it just so happened that our presiding GS was Carla Sundberg. And yes. so we show up to ordination service. And I think at that point we were like, this is so cool. Like how yep. cool is it that we're all women and we're going to be ordained by a woman. And then at some point someone was like, has that ever happened before in the church <laughs> of the Nazarene where it's like only women ordained by a woman? Yep, because there's yep. only two women GSs. And right, so, right, right. Um, I feel like people immediately, like the nerdy Nazarenes were like, we got to find <laughs> yes, out. Like, yeah. no, are we making I, history or not? <laughs> I was one of them. I was like, where can I find this information? Yep. <laughs> yeah. And I think we figured out that uh, Nina Gunner ordained some women, a class of ordinance in another country at some point. Yeah. But it was the first time, unless I understood wrong, uh, that, that that was the first time in the U.S. that it, that mm. it happened. That is so and cool. It was, and there's just no words. It was amazing. Yeah. And I, I just, I, I, I'll never forget it. Not, not just because of that, but it was so, um, it was just, you could feel that in the room. Like, Hey, this is okay. Every ordination service is a special moment. Um, yes. you know, every time you go to it every year, it is, um, it's a sacred time, but that one just felt 
more alive. Um, it was yeah. just, it was, it was just really something to experience and be at. Um, it was like, this is, you know, this is who we're, this is who we're supposed to be. This is, you know, sending, sending men and, and women and women. Um, like this is what the church of the Nazarene has always been. And to see that play out, um, I, it was just so neat. Yeah. I think she even like crafted her sermon that night, knowing that it was just women. And so she did it. She did a beautiful job and yeah, it was so special, so meaningful, Mm. um, I'll never forget it either. It's amazing. That's awesome. So, okay. So you're at, you're at Liberty, you were ordained kind of while you were working at Liberty. So, um, when did you, when did you first step into, uh, your, a senior pastor role? So, um, at some point while I was at Liberty, I started to just feel a little unsettled. Um, it was really hard to figure out what was happening because I, like I say that Liberty was such a sweet spot in ministry. It was just, I loved the people. I loved the staff that I worked with. Um, Kevin Rector, who was the lead pastor there, just emboldened me in ways that I could never even fully describe. Like, I don't know that I would ever feel like I could step into a lead pastor role if it weren't for him Mm. championing me and just like helping me see like you, you, you legitimately can because Kevin Rector yeah. is not somebody that like just says nice things to people to make them right. feel good about themselves. Like yep. he is someone who will tell it like it is and yes. he'll tell you whether or not he, you know, what he sees. And so that yep. always just meant so much to me. And so I just noticed that I was just wrestling with the feeling of, of just feeling unsettled. And I thought, am I supposed to like pursue other places? Am I supposed to go somewhere else to be a youth pastor and kind of explored that and never really fully just felt, um, peace with that. And so I think that was the time where he was just helping me to see, like, maybe you're being called to be a lead pastor. And so, Hmm. you know, he kind of helped give me some more roles and responsibilities, uh, while I was there. And then it was around that time where he was also, he had been there for like 10 years or something like that. And so he and his family were going to be, um, moving to, to Tennessee. Um, and after that, like, you know, crushed me and I had to like pick myself up off the floor and figure out how to do ministry without Kevin Rector and his family. <laughs> um, I just feel like I really started to, uh, lean into that a little bit more like, okay, Lord, I feel like you've shaken up everything in my life. Not saying that that's why the rectors left, but like, I just, I was in this place where I was like, you, like everything's shaken up. And now I feel like Mm. I just have to face this, um, really wrestled with that. Just really wrestled with, I can't do that. Like, I don't know how I would do that. You know, also, you know, keep in mind, I'm going through district licensing interviews, you know, for a few years to have that renewed and an ordination interview. And that whole time I'm sitting in this room full of um, mostly men. There was always at least one woman in there, but mostly men who um, just would constantly challenge me like, hey, do you ever feel like you might be called to be a lead pastor someday? And I was like, nope, <laughs> never going to happen. And they would be like, no, we actually like, that's not crazy. Like you shouldn't close that door. Mm. You shouldn't close that out of your mind. And I was like, okay. Uh, but you know, I I think I kind of went back to that and thought, well, people have always just pointed that out. And so maybe I shouldn't ignore it. So, um, called the DS at the time and, and just said, Hey, this is what I'm thinking and feeling. Is this crazy? And, Mm. and he was like, no, it's not crazy. And so, you know, started 
going through that process and there was an open church um, in Sherwood. It wasn't very far from where we were. Uh, so yeah, it, it worked out to, to go there and lead them. And so that's how I stepped into that role. Hmm, that's awesome. Um, so tell me um, a little bit about um, a little bit about your your experiences there. How was it stepping into that? Um, stepping into that Sherwood Church. Um, how, hey, what was the what was the transition like between uh, going from a youth pastor to going to, uh, if I remember correctly, only pat only well no uh, only pastor right uh, that was on staff. Although your your husband yeah. Bo was uh, he was district licensed at that time too, but going from youth pastor yeah. to to senior pastor. Yeah. Yeah. Senior pastor in, and I, you know, wouldn't expect to like step into any other kind of situation because I had no experience at that plate at that point. So at that, at that time, I was just thankful there was a church that was like willing to let me step into that role, knowing that I had like almost no experience. Um, but so it was very, oh gosh, our time at Sherwood was very, um, it molded and shaped me in ways that, that I'm really grateful for. Uh, it Mm. was a culture shock because I was used to always at least having one other staff person, but when I was at Liberty, there was a time where we had three of us. And so Mm. we had just amazing uh, relationship and this amazing team. And so, you know, I go from that to like, yeah, it's, it's me. I, it's a staff of one and it was, very lonely. Um, this was an older congregation, so there weren't, and there was no one there our age really. Um, and in figuring out how to navigate that kind of on my own, uh, like you said, Bo was in ministry, but he was also working in full-time and he was also taking classes to, to finish up his degree in ministry. And so, um, it was, it, it largely fell on my shoulders and it was, it was super hard and lonely. I remember most days, like I spent more money on coffee than I ever have because I just wanted to go be in a coffee shop where other people were, With even people. though even, even if I wasn't talking to them most of the time, sometimes we did, but, um, I just wanted to be where, where people were because it was just so lonely and isolating. Um, but, mm. but yeah, it was, it was an important time for me to just learn, like, well, I, I don't have anyone else to fall on. Like, I got to figure this out. It's me and the Lord. And yep. he definitely helped me. Yeah. So that, that was something that, that has never dawned on me because I've always been, a, I've been a part of a staff through the last, you know, the first six years of my ministry. And Rob talked a little bit about it because he went from a, a staff to being the only pastor, the, the senior pastor. And he yeah. said, man, I just, I miss, I miss go, like going into the office and there being somebody there to poke fun of or to, you know, make jokes yeah. with, or to grow, like to grow together yeah. throughout the week. Um, and that's, that's something I don't think that we talk about enough, um, because so many of our churches, so many of our pastors are in that situation where it's, they, they, and it, what, what can happen is they can, if it isn't, if they, if they aren't taken care of properly, they can feel isolated and alone and like they're doing it by themselves, um, whether that's the reality or, the, or not. But so what was it like? What, what were those years like while you were navigating that? And talk a little bit about your transition to Belleville. Um, and then we'll jump into what you're doing, doing now, doing right now. Yeah, I, um, you know, I think there, so this was also a situation where, um, right before me 
at Sherwood, there had been a pastor there for, gosh, I don't even know how long he was there for a very long time. And then before that, his dad was there. So like he stepped into the role after his dad. So for like 40 years or something crazy like that, I don't know. It was a very long time where you had kind of a father son. So this church only really knew like one dynamic, one type of pastor and really like one type of ministry. And so I think one of the challenges was just trying to figure out like, how I do things differently, like how I feel called to do ministry. Um, but also you're, you know, you're in a, a setting where it's like, you don't have a lot of, of support in that. Like they're, they're championing you and they're cheering you on and they, they love you and they like cook for you. And they, you know, they're constantly affirming and reassuring you, but you also feel deep down, like, this is a lot to do on my own. And, and so, um, and then also, COVID happened while we were there. And so that was just, you know, we all know what that was, but, um, I, you know, I, I am thankful that our district knowing that we had a lot of churches where pastors were the only people there. Um, they were the only people on their staff that our district was pretty good about, um, meeting together regularly, whether it's via zoom or, you know, in person. And so I was always grateful for those moments. They kind of kept me going when it felt just really lonely and isolating. Mm. Um, and so we were there for a little over two years. Um, but it just, you know, and I could, I won't like go into all of it, but there's just been some like dynamics with Bo and his job and, and how he never really felt free to, fully lean into his calling because he was pretty obligated where he was working and it it never felt like he could just leave unless we like left, left, if that makes sense. Like it it would have been hard to leave, but still be around, you know? And so, Mm. um, a lot of things kind of came together where it just strongly felt like, you know, we were formed and shaped here, but you almost feel like, I feel like I've done as much as I can do in this particular place. Um, Mm. and it just, really feel fair to anyone to kind of keep, you know, forcing something that just didn't feel yeah. like it was working. And I also feel like that's something that we don't talk about very much because I wrestled so much with just feeling terribly guilty and like a, a complete failure, right? Like mm. I failed this church. I'm going to abandon this church. Like it, which is so nar- it's so selfish and self-absorbed because you know, you're like forgetting that this actually doesn't all depend on you, but that's (laughs) cute that you think that, but I just felt like I was, you know, jumping ship or something, even though Mm. that's never something I want to do. Um, I'm very thankful for pastors on our district who I was able to share that with and say, like, speak into this, like, tell me if I need to keep going and, and push through or tell me, you know, what you think. And I'm just so grateful for one pastor in particular who just really said, something along the lines of like, don't let this particular season of ministry, like drain you so much that, that you're lost. Like that. We don't, Mm. that we lose you in ministry. Does that make sense? So, Oh, Hey, you got to name them. If we're talking good about them, we got to name them. (laughs) That was so life giving to me. And I just respected him so much, you know? And so I was just like, you know, shoot it to me straight, Mark, like, tell me what I did. Do I just need to suck it up and keep going? And he was like, (laughs) Oh, he's like, you have a lot of life left in your ministry. Like, don't feel like you have to stay here and have that kind of, you know, away from you. Um, and it was nothing against the church. Like, I don't even make that mean to make that sound like it, it was just, you know, it was just a hard, um, 
it just wasn't, you could just tell, like, we've kind of hit a wall here. Yeah. Um, so thankfully, like since then, the Lord has worked all of it out for good for everyone involved, for them included. And it's just, I was so grateful for that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so at that point I was like, you know, Bo and I both felt like we're not just feeling called away from this church. Like we're feeling called to possibly, you know, like just step out of the state. Like we're, yeah. we feel kind of called to just branch out on our own and like really do this, like hmm. start fresh and where we both have new opportunities to really uh, pursue what we feel called to do. And so, you know, kind of started that process all over again. And um, just through some amazing connections and relationships I had found at that time, um, that's where I learned about a church Belleville um, first church here in Belleville, Illinois. And um, yeah. That's awesome. That's so cool. Uh, one one thing that stands out um, to me so much from your story, kind of all throughout what, what we've been talking about today, is that it always has, has seemed like you've had somebody in your corner, like like there's been somebody to lean on, and that yeah. is oh, that is such that is so not the reality for so many so many pastors, and it's so it's so sad because sometimes it can feel like we're fighting each other. Like we're, we're at, you know, like we're competing with each other, especially on open churches. Like when when there's an open church, we're like, okay, well, who's going to get that, you know, but that is just so neat um, to see the way that, that you've been lifted up and empowered. um, And the way that you've just been, you've been, you've been taking these opportunities, stepping out yourself. I want to, I want to really just say that, that it is so cool the way that you follow the will of God. And, and you followed that urging, like, um, I, I, you know, I kind of have a, a, I know you pretty well and I have a similar situation. I have deep ties in Arkansas. And I, so I know how difficult it is to be like, Hey, we're moving out of the state. We're moving, we're, we're going to go, we're going to follow where God's calling us somewhere else. Um, but the way that you were open to it and the way that you stepped up and did it, um, that is so, so cool. Um, tell me a little bit about a little bit about Bellevue. Um, what what are some what are the joys you've been experiencing? Have you, you've been there about two years now? Yeah, yeah, almost two cool. years coming up. Cool. Mm-hmm. So um, tell me a little bit about the fun stuff you're doing. What are what are some unique joys and challenges that you're you're experiencing? Um, what what you got going on? Yeah. So um, I do feel like uh, so we we came here and this is not a, like a big church, but it's a church of like 75 ish. Um, but we do have just a lot of key leaders in this church that, um, that take part in the ministry. So, you know, immediately what, what stood out as refreshing once we transitioned here was just like, Hey, I don't feel like I'm doing this alone. Like there's, there's Mm. people here that I get to come to work with every day. And that has been life-giving in itself. Um, even though like I'm the only pastor on staff, Bo, you know, is a, is pastor here, but he also works full-time outside of the church. Um, but we do have one other staff person there that's just carries a huge, uh, load herself, but, um, we work really well together. So that's been just so amazing to, to have that, uh, support, you know, and it just makes you feel like you're capable of doing so much more when you don't feel like you're doing it all by yourself. I'm sure. Um, And so that's been a relief and just a really, um, just a welcome change. Um, I do feel like there's, there's a lot of joy here and that we have several couples our age. Um, and that was something we really missed, um, while we were in Sherwood, 
we were just, we felt so our Mm. whole family, it wasn't just me, you know, going to church every day to the office feeling alone, but our whole family just felt like, man, we don't, we don't have a community here and that, you know, it was just hard on all of us. So, uh, it's been really nice to be uh, doing life with a bunch of other 30 year olds and their kids. And we're just navigating through life together and ministry together. And so that's been really amazing. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm going to try to hit the highlights cause I could go on and on just about, yeah, no, you're great. So it's been so great. Um, I, I feel like when we first came here, so it was January of 2021, um, and Illinois had still not really fully opened up at that point. Like Arkansas had been, you know, the state was open and pretty much back to somewhat of a normal for a while, but Illinois was still pretty closed down. And so the church had only been gathering in person, um, for a few months at that point. And so it was definitely this realization of stepping into a ministry context where it was like, okay, we feel like we're starting over. Like we're going to start, we've been gathering in person again. Um, like ministry here looks nothing like it did a year and a half, two years ago. So, um, good luck. We're starting from scratch. Kind of. Thing. <laughs> so, it almost sounds like it, it was nearly like, well, in that situation, it would almost be like a church plant. It's more of a blank sheet than, yeah, that's, yeah. that's neat. Which, which, you know, is so interesting because I've never even like really strongly considered church planning because it sounds so overwhelming and intimidating. And I just think that's Ditto. a special calling in itself. Yep. Yep. Um, but here it's like, yes, kind of that like exciting, like we can do new things, but look at all these people like, you're not starting <laughs> from scratch and nothing, you know, like, and so, but the good thing is the church board at that point was very open to like, we got to do something different. And we're not just saying that, like, we know that we have to do something different. And awesome. you know, at that point, I feel like so many pastors, a lot of pastors anyways, were really accepting, like, ministry is going to look different. And Mm -hmm. I found that exciting and I found that exhilarating and I was ready to go. Like I was open to whatever that meant. And so, um, I I was just thankful that as I started meeting with the board and, um, you know, we had this like special time of, of meeting of, and kind of like vision casting, you know, like, what do we, what do we really want to see for our church? Where do we feel like God is calling us? And so we began, kind of taking steps on this journey of figuring out like, how can we be a church for our neighborhood? Like Mm. that was something that was weighing heavily on my heart because this church um, wasn't really connected to their neighbors. In fact, a lot of people come from a few different communities, not just Belleville. And so this church was kind of going through an identity crisis of like, we are a church in Belleville, but how do we become how, how how are we a church that like serves our neighbors in Belleville mm. like do we even know our neighbors kind of and that's what I was helping them work through because I thought well that's where we should start like we should start by you know um, noticing and and trying to serve those around us so we're in a, a pretty good sized neighborhood we have like an apartment complex right across the street from the church and then there's a few like Uh, the neighborhood behind us ranges from, you know, pretty small, like rent houses and duplexes. And then it goes all the way back to like a a super fancy neighborhood, you know? And so Mm -hmm. it's like, we have this wide range of neighbors right here in our backyard Mm -hmm. and we don't even know them. Like we don't, we don't ever cross paths with them. And so we kind of began like searching, exploring this idea of what does it look like to be like a neighborhood church that, that knows and serves its neighbors. And so 
I just appreciated their openness and their willingness to just do a bunch of different kind of things. Um, yeah. like, a, like a, a, you know, a cookout at the apartment complex where we just grilled some burgers and, and the purpose was to meet our neighbors there and just get to know them, um, hmm. without expecting them to come into our church building. At that time yep. I had felt really, you know, a lot of wise people like, Tom Rainer in his book, the post quarantine church, like mm -hmm. I gobbled that up in like a day and just felt like, yes, this is, you know, the post quarantine church is going to be a church that, that doesn't just open up its doors on Sunday mornings and expects people to come pouring in. But a post quarantine yep. church is going to realize like, we no longer exist for just us. Like mm. we need to be building for our community and, and a, a church that actually serves our community because like, what else are we going to do at this point? Like there's nothing that, else. Yeah. That is so refreshing. So I, I just, uh, it, it seems like the, uh, the seeker sensitive model that we were, uh, that the church was for about 10, 15 years yeah. created what they, what they call commuter, commuter churches. And so, um, you know, we're, we're, we're trying to be flashy. We're trying to draw people. We don't, we don't care if they come from an hour away. We don't care if they come. We yeah. just care if they, they're coming. And what that created is churches that are not made up of people in their community um, and that are not serving their community. And that is so frustrating because yeah. when you look at the, the history of the church, what the church was kind of intended to be as we were planting, as they were it's kind of scattering along the world, it was parish parish ministries, yep. serving neighbors. And so to, to hear you do that. So how was that received by the church? That was it, was it made up of, was it mostly made up of maybe commuters, but like, how, how was that received that kind of transition and vision? Yeah. Um, I, I think that you hit the nail on the head. It is it very much a commuter church, uh, because we have so many surrounding communities, you know, we've yes. got Belleville, but then we've got all these other, uh, cities nearby that just kind of, we kind one bleeds into the next. And so hmm. you've got people driving from 20 minutes, 30 minutes away. Um, and just a handful of us are like actually in Belleville. Hmm. Um, but yeah, so, and they, the really cool thing too, and I credit the previous pastor who was really working through some of these things with the church board and was like, we got to like acknowledge our weaknesses. Um, and that was even before COVID. And so, um, I just really appreciated that I had all this, like, I kind of had it easy where I came in and I was like, look, you already acknowledged your own weaknesses. I don't have to do that <laughs> for you. Like you already did the hard work of saying like, this is where we're lacking. Yeah. And so I can help you like think of ways I can help us think you of could... ways of, of like, here's what we need to do now. Like we've already acknowledged that this is not good. So what are we going to do? So I feel like because of that, they were really open and really receptive. And so mm. um, the challenge was going to be to go into these events where we're trying to meet and learn the names of our neighbors and ask them this crazy question of, hey, what would it look like for the church across the street to, um, to like, what can we do with our land? Because we have a decent amount of, of land. Like, how can we utilize that to best serve our neighbors? Here's what we're thinking. Like, we mm. had some ideas of like, what can we do with this building and this land to serve our neighbors? And so this idea of a community garden kept coming up. And so we would like pull our neighbors and say, like, if we were to do a community garden, is that something you would be interested in? Like, is that something you might like to participate in? And all these neighbors from this apartment complex were like, well, yeah, that would be amazing because we're in this apartment complex in this pretty 
urban-ish area, um, at least mm. for like where we are. Yeah. Um, and, and we don't have the ability to have a garden, you know? And so uh, they were really open to that. And so we just continued to make our way around the neighborhood, meeting neighbors, kind of asking them like, is this something? And we just felt like it's a long, I'm explaining it really short and quickly, but it was a process of like months of praying and just like, and, and here's the thing, like myself and the church board, none of us really felt like, um, like we don't know what to do with a community garden. Like we're not <laughs> right. gardeners. I'm definitely not. So it's not even something that I just feel super passionate about, but yet it's what kept coming up. And so Hmm. it just felt like we ought to pay attention to that. And so after months of just kind of praying over that and taking small teeny tiny steps and asking like, okay, God, are you really in this? Is this something that you are maybe calling us to do? Um, We've since had an amazing leader step up in the church who was like leading the whole initiative and just has these amazing plans for it. And so all that to say, our plan is to um, break ground here in a few weeks, start building the boxes and everything that we're going to awesome. have to start in and, and kick off in the spring of 2023. Um, cool. And so we've just we've just really tried to lean into this idea of, and I, I try to challenge them because here's the thing, like none of these are ministry growth plans. Like this can't be, we're doing this in hopes that like these they're going to come to church. church. Yeah, right, like, right. We have to be okay with the fact that maybe you just meet them in in this garden, and like that's where oh, this like ship happens. That's where that's relationship good. and connection happens. And if they never step foot in our sanctuary, are we okay with that? Mm-hmm. You know. And so that's kind of yep. what we're working through right now. See, uh, that is so awesome, Nicole. Um, the the community garden. I've, I've I've seen a few churches that that have done that, and it's such a refreshing. Like it's so. I think you used that word refreshing a hundred times, um, but it is yeah. um, because it seems like such a small thing, and people may even ask, like, why aren't we even like, what's the point of this? Yeah. Well, the yeah. point is to to help sustain your neighborhood. It's to you know I. I go to NT ride on basically everything, um, yes. but to, to participate, Same. yeah, to participate in the renewal of your community, you know, especially in more urban areas where there may be some food insecurity, mm-hmm. um, that is participating in the kingdom of God. And yeah. it is, and some people I've heard some people say, well, what if someone in t- comes and takes all the vegetables? Uh, well, that's the point. That's, that's the, that is yep. literally the point. Yep. That's great. Yeah. <laughs> yep. And, and so one of the things too, that's been challenging is like, I'm, when I first walk through the building, like before we even have an official interview, I'm walking through this building and it's just a great building. Like they've put a lot of work into updating and remodeling and it's just a beautiful space. And I'm like, all right, who can we find to come and use this really nice building that we have that we are not ever hardly using. And so, um, this is totally the work of the Lord and the work of people who have been there for years and years and have connections, but we have since started hosting, uh, two different homeschool groups that are using our building two different days a week, uh, throughout the year, the school year. And that's so refreshing because we have made so many connections with, with these homeschool families. Again, None of them come to our church, Nope. <laughs> but we have this amazing community. And then it was just this really beautiful thing where like the paths intersected where the homeschool groups were like, Hey, could we like teach our kids how to garden in your community garden? And so it was like this mm, light bulb moment where cool. it was like, yes, you can. We're going to build beds that are specifically for like yep. beginners and learners. So 
So these kids can literally get their hands dirty and figure out how to <laughs> garden if they don't already do that. And so, gosh, it's just, it's just been really cool to see mm. you know, all the moving parts and, and it's still scary. Like I can tell, like now that we're talking money and like, how much is this going to cost us? Yeah. Like you can tell that people are like, okay, yeah, this sounds great. And, and, um, hopefully it's not too expensive kind of a thing, you know? Yeah. But, yeah. So we're really stepping out now and just hoping that the Lord are trusting really that the Lord yeah. is, is going to do something really cool. Well, one, one thing that, and you, and you already said it, but one thing that we have to get away from that we have to just drop completely is asking the question, what are we going to get out of it? Like yeah. what are, okay. So let's build this community garden. Let's do this event. Um, you know, in the city, let's, let's do this, this, that let's let somebody use our building. We have to stop asking, um, or we have to train our people to stop asking, okay, well, what are we going to get out of that? Like, why would we do that? And we're like, well, we may not get anything out of that, but that's the, that's the point. That's the, that's the purpose of all of Christianity. Like if you're asking that question, you've lost sight of what our our mission is. Um, there's no, there's no, let's hoard everything up and let's make sure we, we are always prospering in that. Um, but that's neat. That's neat. Following in the steps of Jesus who, you know, literally lived his life every day to serve the people around him. Like that's all he did. And, yeah. you know, and from our, you know, from our view, it's like, well, he lost his life over that, you know, right. like yeah. he gave his life for doing that. And like, why aren't we doing that? Why aren't we giving mm-hmm. everything up just to be obedient to say, like, how can we serve you? How can we be here for you? Like, we want to exist to be a blessing to you. We, mm. we don't want to just take up space here. Like yeah. we want to actually be a blessing. So, yeah. And in, and in so many ways, um, and, and we've been talking about this a lot on our staff lately. Um, but, but in so many ways that, that creates more opportunities for discipleship and more opportunities for connection than a Sunday morning sermon will. Um, I know we're, we're both pastors. We both love to preach. Um, but the three point sermon isn't for everybody. Yeah, and, um, and, anyways. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> and so it, it's almost like, um, you, you have to, we have to use our, maybe even use our Sunday mornings to, to, to train our people to have their life and their interactions be that sermon, um, which sounds really simple, but it's just not happening. Um, we've, we've trained our people through that seeker sensitive stuff. We've trained, we've trained the church to, okay, we're going to gather here. Uh, you can listen to a sermon, you can sing three or four worship songs, and uh, then you leave and you'll come back next week. And, and you'll rate us on Google, right? Yeah, exactly. Rate us you'll, on Google and tell yeah, us how great your experience was. That's exactly right. Yeah, and then bring bring your buddy. If you really like it, you can bring your friend, and we'll count them uh, count them in our numbers when we submit it yeah. to our annual yeah. report. Yeah, um, we need to undo a lot of things. Yeah, we do. We do because, um, and I talked a little bit about this with Rob, and I probably will say it in every interview that I have on this season of the podcast, but when we're trying to look at numbers, we've just focused on the wrong thing. And I feel like, you know, just the whole purpose of this podcast and this conversation, one of the just beautiful things is that it's not all millennials, but certainly like millennials just see this, they see it for what it is. They, they recognize for whatever reason, like we just grew up seeing like, okay, that's pretty cool. And now it's like, wow, that just, what, it, what was the purpose of that? Like, what did that accomplish? Mm-hmm. And so now it's like, we just have this unique 
viewpoint and it's, we're not attached to any of it necessarily. And so it's like, guys, like we're really missing out on something great here. And the church is falling short in so many ways. And I just think it's so cool how this entire generation, um, again, like there are supports on, on all ends, you know, it's challenging sometimes, but there is support, but I just love how our generation is like, we're ready. Like, let's do this. Let's no more talking. We're just going to do it. (laughs) And, and there's, there's been so many conversations. Um, and the Josiah who, who is the main guy for this podcast, he, he would, he would, he's done a lot more research than I have on like the millennial stereotype, but they said, millennials are always asking, how can I make a difference? And, and that's true. It it absolutely is true. I find myself asking that. And I think where it makes the big, the most sense is not within corporations, but within the church, we have to quit asking that question. What can we get out of it and stop asking, are we, are we making a difference? Because people, people our age, uh, millennials, and and then probably even younger, I, I, we're just, we're we're not going to spend our time somewhere that we're, we're not, we're not doing that. It, it, yes. if it, if it's, if it's not, if it's, if we're not a part of something that's valuable that we see as valuable, we're not going to spend our time doing that. And so if a church isn't making a difference in their community, if they're not, if they're not doing something that brings change, uh, you know, people are, I don't want to make huge sweeping generalizations, right. not right. everybody's that way, right. but um, me personally, I'm like, I don't, I don't want to be a part of it. It's not, it's yeah. not, it's not worth the, the time. So yeah. totally. Okay, well, uh, tell me about what you're excited about. Um, some something that's coming up in the church. Um, what what's making you excited for the future of Belleville or or the Church of the Nazarene? And and we'll end our conversation with 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 this. Yeah, um, I feel like I'm very excited about you know seeing what happens with with this community garden and just with this mm. as we kind of step into this place of. Um, doing ministry outside of our building and just seeing what kind of opportunities that brings. That may not be the right word, but you know, just see what happens. Like, like, I guess in the back of my mind, like I just continue and I, like, I'm just going to be honest, like I'm skeptical. I'm like, Lord, I want this to be right. And I want this to really like help us, you know, do what we know we need to do. Like, would you please like be in this? Like, this isn't going to work if you're not in this. And so I'm, I'm just praying about that, but I'm excited because I feel like the people in our congregation feel excited about it. Like, yes, Mm. there is some, you know, some, some slight, I guess, concern about like, Oh, this is going to cost a lot, you know, and and churches that are in a comfortable position financially, like it's really easy to not want to rock the boat. Like we want to just, you know, it's kind of like we do in our personal lives. Like we got to have that to depend on just in case, you know? Yeah. And so yeah. we're really going to be testing ourselves. Like how invested are we really? Yeah. Um, we'll find out. And so, but I feel like overall people are very excited about, you know, this, like just to be doing something different. Cause it's like, everyone knows that we need to be doing something different. Um, but people just were afraid to try things. And so I guess like, in some ways it's exciting that we're trying this and you know what, maybe it won't work. Like it could fail. Like, let's just be honest. I'm scared and it could fail. All of the plants could die. Yeah. Yeah. We're trying it. Like, yeah, try this. And if it doesn't work, we'll pray about like, okay, that wasn't it. Lord, what is it? Like, you know, we're we're trying it. And so we don't know how it's going to go, but we're excited (laughs) because we're doing something. We're, We're doing something. So I feel like that's, 
pretty palpable. Um, and so, yeah, that's definitely bringing me joy right now in this hmm. ministry. Um, you know, just to kind of acknowledge, especially with like where this podcast has been, like, I'm very thankful to the church of the Nazarene and just, gosh, I could say so much because on one hand, I'm like, I have never felt more supported or encouraged or championed. And that's because of Nazarene pastors, both male and female who have poured into me. But I know that that's not everyone's story. Mm -hmm. And just frankly, women like they're I am so well aware that my experience is extremely unique. Why? I don't know. Like, I truly don't know why mine is so different, Um, but I know it is. And I know that there are women who are far more qualified, like far more highly educated women that just can't find a place where they're Mm. welcomed. And, um, and so, you know, they're looking for that other in other places. And I'm just aware that the church of the Nazarene, because, uh, you know, we have so many millennials now and, and, and their voices are, our voices are loud. And we're trying to just call out some of the, some of the things that we're wrestling with within the church. And um, I'm grateful that we're having those conversations and I don't know where that's going to go. I don't know where that's going to lead, but like, what's giving me hope is that, um, I feel like there are people in the denomination that want to have those conversations. Yes. They're aware, yeah. like we know that there are so many things that we need to maybe work on, but like we want to continue to, and there, so like, for instance, just to give you a specific example at PalCon, I was at PalCon, um, a few weeks, a few months ago at this point, and, um, we, there was just a really honest conversation among the panel and, um, and some influential, you know, denominational leaders who, who said like, we missed the mark on that conversation. Like Mm. we missed the mark and we are way behind. Like we should have, we should have had those conversations a long time ago and we kind of missed that opportunity. And now we're having to catch up and it's really Mm. hard, but like we acknowledge that. And so I guess it's, we'll see, you know, like I'm really anxious and curious to see, now that we've acknowledged that some of us anyways, and like, where, where do we go from there? Um, right. so I'll be and curious to see. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to be curious to see that as well, because it's, it's one thing to kind of admit that, yeah, we missed the mark there. And then it's another to do something about it. Yeah. Um, and, and what you were saying, and I, I think your story is just your whole calling to ministry is such a great example of this. Um, is that so many of our pastors are missing one person in their corner. Yeah. Just one to give them encouragement to, to, to be in their corner in those board of ministry, um, in those board of ministry interviews Mm -hmm. to say, I'm going to, I'm going to be your champion. I'm going to make sure that, that, that you succeed. And that's, that's all it takes is just that one person as a mentor and to, to be willing to go, go to bat for you. Yeah. Um, and there's so many people missing that. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but I appreciate you so much, Nicole. Um, like I've said before, you may, uh, we we've known each other on the North Arkansas district. You may be in Illinois now, but we're still, uh, we're still cheering you on from here. Thank you for being on our, on my podcast or Josiah's podcast. And, um, and I'm looking forward to see how that community garden shakes out, how that goes and the great things you're going to be doing through that church 
uh, you're already making a difference. I can tell. Um, and I'm glad I am so excited to see what God's going to do through you and Bo um, and y'all's ministry there. Since we love millennials so much on this podcast, we thought it would be appropriate to promote our fellow millennial authors. Here's one now. Hey there, my name is Caleb Cray Haynes, and I'm the author of the new book, Garbage Theology, The Unseen World of Waste and What It Means for the Salvation of Every Person, Every Place, and Everything. In a time when the church has been far too silent on the environmental crisis facing us all, how might we have a better grasp on what the Bible says, what the science says, and how to engage in this very Christian calling to serve and keep creation? Woven through my story of working bivocationally as a pastor and a trash hauler, Garbage Theology seeks to tackle these large questions by taking a close look at what nobody wants to see, our waste. Support this author and our podcast by clicking the link in the description. Thank you. The Millennial Pastor Podcast was created and produced by Byron Certain and Josiah Jones. This season's guest host is Hunter Thrasher. Our editor is Caden Barksdale. And original music was done by Andrew Jones. This podcast is part of the Millennial Pastor Podcasting Network. For more podcasts like it, please visit themillennialpastor.com. Thank you so much for listening. Please be sure to rate, review, and subscribe so you can join us on the next episode of the Millennial Pastor Podcast.